to find it. Okay. <laughs> I hope you just observed a moment of silence with us for our careers. This is Perhaps It's You, an unofficial <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Samantha. This this thing you're supposed to do when you are a professional podcast or audio recorder is to have some silence at the beginning of your recording so you can use it to like remove like the ambient noise. And I oh. have forgotten to do it. Every single time we've ever recorded. So that's like huh. 500 episodes. Huh. So we're starting out season four very professionally. Yeah. Did you know that we're a professional? I feel now? like we've upped our game. I really had so many plans to like come out swinging. I was like, season four, I'm going to be on it. I'm going to know how to pronounce shit. I'm going to do my research. Like, I'm going to post on Instagram on a regular basis. I'm gonna we'll up- see how long that lasts. I'm going to update our website, a thing that has not happened in many moons. Still hasn't happened. And then I was just explaining to Samantha, like, I'm so tired from moving some furniture. And I had so many grand ambitions that just never came to pass. Okay, this is day one of recording season four. I would not write it off just yet. I mean, I know I have kind of a bleak outlook sometimes. So I was like, oh, it's over. I've already failed. Let's just quit the whole podcast. Okay, the other night, I had my first podcast nightmare. Yes. You know how you sometimes have like bad dreams that you're like back in school and you've forgotten to take a test? Or maybe you're in the office and you missed a deadline? Yes, I had that of podcasting where I knew we were... So today is Monday. We're recording on a Monday, which we don't usually do. True. And in my dream, it was Monday, but I thought it was Sunday. A thing that could potentially happen to me because I don't work on Mondays. And so the dream was like me going like, wait, today's Monday? Samantha's coming over to record right now? I have not watched the episode. I have not done anything. I am totally fucked. And for in the dream, like I couldn't just go like, hey, Samantha, I'm a loser and I fucked up. <laughs> So I was like scrambling to just like print out the unsolved wikis and act like I had seen it. And just like, I was like, I'm just going to wing this and it's going to be fine. But I was like, I honestly woke up like, oh my God, what day is it? I've already failed season four. What's so funny about that is if that were to actually happen in real life, which it never would. But if it did and I showed up and Liz was like, I fucked up and didn't watch the episode, I'd be like, great, let's go get tacos with Patreon money. I don't want to do this either. In my dream, I just like couldn't let you know what a failure I was because you were like, you had like a, I think you had like a binder that was like all color coordinated. Um, <laughs> of the episode and i was just like a whole binder for the episode yeah and i was just going like next level yeah that was weird (laughs) (laughs) but we're here season four happy season four is over i know y'all missed us we're back your thursdays are livable again you're welcome it's hard to imagine that there are people that are like i wish i could listen to liz and samantha babble about unsolved mysteries every week it is weird it's wild and those people are not just my mom yeah. Which hi, mom. Hi, Liz's mom. <laughs> Shout out to Liz's mom. Yes. So I feel like I should have some updates, but I really don't. I mean, we ended on listener stories, so how could there really be any updates That's for that? That's true. I have a couple people to thank that Ooh. sent us stuff during the hiatus. Oh, yes. A big improvement to our podcasting room is going to be a shadow box filled with all of the gifts you have sent us. It's really quite large. Samantha came in today and it's was like, way bigger than I thought. This is a gigantic thing you were putting in your home that is literally just cards and aliens and things people have sent us. It's it's designed for rugby jerseys. <laughs> 
it was hard to find a shadow box that quite fit my needs. So the idea of this is that your favorite sports hero signed a jersey and you're going to like frame it and put it in your your man cave. Sorry, Gordon Ramsay has several of these in his Yeah, mansion. so that's what this is for. But we have, we're, we're taking a little different route. There's a box of Smarties in there. <laughs> and, and two more than one porpoises of justice yes. that have been made for us. Yeah, some people's fine notes and... We won't be able to fit everything in here, but we do keep everything that's sent to us, and this will be a nice sampling. I'm going to post it's a really picture on Instagram. like a museum exhibit to our own glory. It looks legitimately like it's a museum huge, exhibit. huge, and it's going to be hanging in my home, and people will come in and just be like, oh. <laughs> like, I might as well just write, like, I'm awesome in huge letters and hang that up, which maybe I will, too. There's a little bit of space left. We could... I've left some room for, you know, other notable items that come in okay so we we need to thank patrick who sent us this book called the ghostly register wow haunted dwellings active spirits a journey to america's strangest landmarks is that cover holographic i wish maybe there's like an edition that was because it kind of looks like it's from this angle it looks a little holographic it's cool I'll, I'll go like this to act like it is but it's not liz just waggled the book <laughs> around a little um so this shows you different uh haunted locales around the united states Ooh, this will be good for a ghost stories episode patrick says greetings mysteries ants i listened to the holiday special and it reminded me of this book i had as a kid check out page 328 for questionable pornographic evidence of a dragon <laughs> enjoy and never stop solving mysteries because you check out that page so okay let's go to 328 <laughs> questionable pornographic evidence of a dragon <laughs> words know. i never thought i'd put together in a sentence you know um so this is chapter 58 what was that dragon that just went by a small informal commune in denton texas and um it seems to be referring to the main fun began in 1984 when people began seeing a dragon, sometimes in the sky, as though it were formed by clouds. Okay. <laughs> Look, I've <laughs> seen dragons in clouds as well. clouds, y'all. Sometimes on the ground, only a few feet away. One evening, a group of boys and girls were gathered in Susie Mills' backyard chatting and having a beer or two. Okay. And Susie decided like to take a picture of them. No one was smoking, Susie says. Got <laughs> it. just winked. Got it, Susie. When the photo sure, was processed, there was a smoky effervescence hovering just above and behind the gathering. All concerned insist it was the dragon. Okay. Is there a picture included? Yeah. I'm Do, trying does to it see look like what's a dragon? pornographic what's, what's about pornographic? it. Does it have its dick out? <laughs> okay, apparently. So here's everyone like enjoying a beer in the backyard. And then there's just like a slight blur. That people are claiming is a dragon. Definitely not smoke. For and says, sure. See that wispy form over the heads of the frolickers? They're not frolicking. They're sitting there probably smoking. I'm not I, I'm not seeing the pornographic part, but I assume it's in there somewhere. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. Um we also got from Troy and Laramie, they found a X-Files guide at the bookstore, Ooh. and they sent that along. I had many of these back in the day. Is this the Laramie of the felted key, uh, alien keychain? Yes. Yes, it is. You sent us another gift? I'm yes. blown away. And I actually was surprised that this was not a book that I had, so thank you. This surprises thank me you. as well. Now, last item. 
for people who are like, oh my God, please stop, is that we got a parachuting D.B. Cooper action figure complete with parachute. And this was sent to us from Melinda in Australia who said, trust you'll put it to good use. Absolutely. Uh, that came all the way from Australia. Well, it was ordered on Assuming Etsy. Australia exists. It was ordered on Etsy from 20leagues.com. Oh. And what's interesting about that is that that seller put in a note that said, we're fans of the show, and we're excited to see this gift order come through. <laughs> That's amazing! Well, How did that happen? Too. So that was Morgan. Thanks, Morgan. Morgan and Melinda. The D.B. Cooper action figure has been enshrined in our shadow box. Yes, it's pretty cool. Check it out on Instagram. I'll make sure to post it's, a photo. It looks very well made. I highly recommend it. I haven't I haven't taken it out of the packaging. I'm going to leave it in its pristine condition. Well, that just means it's going to be worth a lot of money someday. That's that's my plan. My Sell re- it with your beanie babies. That's <laughs> my retirement right there. <laughs> Have you seen that photo from the 90s of a couple divorcing in court and they're splitting up their beanie babies? No, but I know you've told me about it before. It's probably my hilarious. It's probably my favorite photo of all time. Do you remember when that, like, uh, maybe it was last year or the year before, there was a viral story going around about the first edition Princess Diana Beanie yes. Baby Bears? And everyone was sharing it on Facebook, like, Mom was right! These <laughs> are going to be worth money! But of course, it was only, like, t- two bears. Everyone right. else with a Princess Diana bear, like, <laughs> there was it's something worth special nothing. Like, about everyone, those ones. Yeah. yeah, like, they were first edition, or I don't know what. There's a there's a really funny episode of Broad City about a... Uh, JonBenet Ramsey Beanie Baby Bear that's worth a lot of money, but that, that's not actually real. <laughs> yeah, that would be horrible. But it is kind of like, is the Diana one great, though? I mean, true. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I also want to give another thank you to Mary Jean. I recently started writing in my garden journal that she oh, sent. Oh, yeah. I, you honestly, took, you took the brave stance of writing in a new journal. That was, my problem was that I didn't want to mar that beautiful garden journal. If you don't listen to our Patreon episode, Mary Jean sent us some beautiful gifts. Mine was... Uh, a garden journal. It said the mindful gardener on it. And it was beautiful. And I didn't want to mar it with my bad handwriting. Too bad. But I've been watching a lot of garden videos lately and I needed to take some notes for what I want to do next spring. And I was like, this is the perfect application for a journal. So yes. I took the plunge and I, I wrote in the journal. Good for you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I also started a new notebook for season four. This That's is very exciting. A copy of the book from Beetlejuice that says handbook for the recently deceased. I love it. That's very applicable. Yes. To our podcast. Because you can see a generational divide that I take my notes in a notebook and Samantha, like a normal person, I type them. Types them. But that's not how I'm used to taking notes. So there you go. And also, how will I make countless mustache doodles? Quite true. <sighs> okay. Should we get started? If you're following along at home on Amazon Prime, this is season four, episode one. There are now more than ever ways to watch Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. It's on the Roku channel. It's on YouTube. YouTube. It's on some other thing. Maybe it's still on Hulu. I have no idea. We watch on Amazon Prime. We know Amazon's evil. We do it anyway. We've sold our souls. What can we do? So, I was surprised to see. Like, I thought I had abandoned Unsolved Mysteries in season three, but I've actually watched this episode before. It's the only episode of season four I've watched, so I don't know if, like, Travis and I accidentally skipped ahead and watched this episode. Not sure. I'm not quite sure what, like, platform you use to access your streaming services but sometimes my amazon prime like app or whatever you call it 
is finicky, and we'll just start playing like a the wrong episode. Remember that time I, I watched that. the one from the totally wrong episode and was asking you, and you're like, "Liz, that mystery is not in here." Yes. It's just because it's like, "Oh, you meant season five, episode two? It's like, no, obviously I want to watch the next one. Right. Maybe that's happened. But so maybe somehow you ended up watching. So I have seen this one before. And this is a lot of people's favorite UFO mystery. Yeah. And this is timely because last podcast on the left is at this very moment doing a series on this UFO incident. So if you want some better research. Way better research. Go listen to that. I only only have one part out right now. I think it's going to be at least a two-parter, maybe more. So I was only able to listen to their first one. Um, And I listened to it twice. I will say that I like that podcast for the most part, but their UFO ones tend to be a little like meandering and kind of hard to follow. So I'm not sure how much I got out of it, but it's very interesting. That podcast is funny if you enjoy it. Um, Ooh, ooh. I feel like the only update that's occurred while we were on hiatus is it's like clearer than ever that UFOs are real. Oh, absolutely. So everyone, everyone both believes in UFOs and also does not care. That's the update in the United States, is that all these different, like, Navy officials and stuff have been like, oh, yeah, there are UFOs. Yeah, and, like, people that you wouldn't expect to make the shit up, right? Yeah. Like, people that we're going to be talking about today, like, There's regular so army dudes, like... So many witnesses to this one. Right. A blah, lot. Blah, blah, blah. A lot of witnesses so to anyway, this. So, this uh, is the... UFOs Ren- are real, the yes. world is ending, no one cares. That's the update. So this is the Rendlesham Forest Incident, which is a UFO, a series of UFO sightings that occurred in the UK on an American military base. So on December 26, 1980, at around 2 a.m., Airman First Class John Burroughs was out on security patrol at Woodbridge Air Base with his partner when they saw an odd bright light come from the Rendlesham Forest, which separates Woodbridge from Bentwaters, which is the UK's Air Force base. They're, like, right across from each other. Oh, okay. How did you feel about the Air Force hats? Uh, Very important question. I guess I was indifferent about them. Did you have a strong feeling? I kind of like them. I will say that the, the costuming in this episode was very good. Yeah. So they were out patrolling the Rendlesham Forest. There's a very thick forest that separates these two air bases. It's like very, very dense from my understanding. The men went back to call their superior from a nearby post, and they were still but they were still able to see the light. Almost simultaneously, another security patrol arrived and confirmed the lights. Burroughs and the second team were sent off base to investigate without their weapons because they were leaving American jurisdiction. Okay, my favorite part of this is, he. so he gets off the phone with his supervisor and he's like, oh, this many men are supposed to go into the woods to investigate. Do you want to come with? And the other guy just goes, nope. <laughs> what? Apparently that's a thing you can do. <laughs> this is not the military as I know it. He was just like, no. He literally said no. And then they just <laughs> cut to something else. Look, I know very little about the military. This was like Cold War era, right? So I he think just they're went, just like sitting around waiting for nope. the nukes to go off. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I think they just like walk back and forth in front of this forest. <laughs> and I guess you can just be like, nah. I don't know. <laughs> That's my understanding. That guy is my new hero. <laughs> nope. nope. Mr. Nope. <laughs> also, I drew a, um, a mustache from around this part Everyone of Everyone in this episode has a mustache, I feel like. This is not my MVM, but ironically, I called it the MVM because it looks like an M. 
Like it looks That's like creative. It does look like an M. But it's not the best mustache in this episode. They keep getting better. They so. do. There's a lot of mustaches. They keep coming at you and getting get better and better. Okay, so as the nervous men walked into the forest, they could tell that the animals were very upset. So there was a lot of squealing. I don't know what it sounds like when a whole forest full of animals the, is upset. The, the, but the badgers and the moles were shrieking. Howling. Into the night. The newts. Oh, man. The newts were screaming. I'm trying to think know. of very English animals. <laughs> Yeah. All the badgers were so hedgehogs? mad. Hedge- yeah, those- I'm assuming the hedgehogs... Do they make noise? These hedgehogs formed a full circle, and they just they just ground that forest into a, a, the equivalent of a crop circle. Listen, a Hazel, circle. the hedgehog, I know you're listening. You need to DM us on Instagram <laughs> yeah, and tell us... What kind of noises do you make? Do you have a upset? voice? I need to know. Okay. Do you have a voice? <laughs> Hello, hedgehog. Do you have a voice? So they walked into the forest. They could tell that the animals were very upset. They received a radio transmission that contact was made with the Heathrow Tower in London and that an object had been seen over the Woodridge base and then disappeared. Last podcast on the left called this a bogey, which is like a some sort of unidentified aircraft, I think. But isn't that just what UFO means? Well, I think you don't assume immediately that it's none of this Earth. I mean, I guess it's the same thing, but a UFO... Oh. I think connotates aliens. Not okay. Sure. It just don't ask me about military Sorry. terminology. Unidentified research objects. Just you know, that could that could be anything. You just don't know what it is. True. But I think we do assume it's aliens. You do assume it's the little green men. So they arrived at the object, which had a bunch of blue strobing lights, and then moved. There was a dance party through the trees and into the sky. I will say. Unsolved Mysteries tries, okay, to <laughs> depict these lights and UFOs in the reenactment. Bam, 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 bam. The production bam, value bam. is not high. Look, this is some easy, er- oh, easy, early CGI bullshit. <laughs> it looks bad. I'm sure that cost them a small fortune at Probably. the time. But it looks terrible. You it know was- how HBO just blew our minds with a bunch of dragons? This yeah, is, and then we're still, a long ways from that. Still, people complained about them. Well, yeah. This might have looked better if they had just put a hubcap on a string and dangled <laughs> it around, Ed Wood style, but they did the best they could. So, suddenly time slowed down. They described everything as feeling slower. It was very strange to the men, and then suddenly the object vanished. For more than two hours, they played an eerie game of cat and mouse with this mysterious object. At times, it would get closer to the horizon, and then it would get closer to them, and then fly away. I think they had missing time, right? Yeah. And they were there for long enough that they were able to like get out sketchbooks and draw what they were seeing, um, because, like, I don't know. Like, None of them owned cameras? Notebook on them. I don't think so. Okay. Maybe they, I mean, if they did, they probably didn't carry it around. They were like, oh, I think they let's probably had a little take some time to notepad. do a fine sketch of this UFO. Robert Stack says the events of that December night set into motion a chain reaction that would eventually result in the best documented sighting in American <gasps> military history. And to say this, he's in some sort of like airport hangar. Yeah, with hanging like photos behind him. Yeah, but there's also like people in the distance just milling around. It's bizarre. I like it. It was artistic. For an, for a just walk and talk location, whatever the hell. It's not the worst we've seen. No. Wherever this rave is going on in the background that he just like dropped by, good choice. Although the government has no comment on the incident, several witnesses agreed to an interview to tell what happened that night. 
Five hours after the sighting, John reported to his post commander about the strange lights, and the commander said that they should try to locate any physical evidence. I think this is the point in the reenactment where the two men walk into their commander's office. He's sitting in a desk, and he's like, what the fuck? And they sort of stumble over this. Because suddenly they're like, I'm sure they went in there like, oh my god, this was fucking wild. And then they get in there, and they're like, uh, yeah, we saw some weird lights in the woods. And their commander's clearly like, you saw some lights in the woods? Well, I think they knew that they weren't going to be taken seriously, so they're really, like, hedging their description where they're like, so... Because they don't want to be kicked out or sent to the insane asylum or whatever. When they arrived, they found impressions in the ground, burn marks on the trees, and other odd evidence. John and a police officer went to the area and showed him the physical evidence that was there. However, the officer dismissed the ground impressions as burrowing forest animals. Interestingly, the circles measured an equal distance apart and made a perfect equilateral triangle. I don't know why Unsolved Mysteries wants to constantly portray the English is blaming everything on forest creatures. Oh, like how uh, parades of hedgehogs make crop circles? Yeah. It's like, oh, clearly this is burrowing animals that make sure they make a perfect equilateral triangle. I think what's funny is that this was in the middle of winter, too. So certainly the ground is frozen. I don't think right. animals could burrow that also, deep into the frozen ground. It wasn't like a hole. It's just an impression. Right. So they just burrowed they just a went, few inches down. They went down at a perfect flat circle, and they went, that's enough. I mean, that's what hedgehogs do, I think. Okay. Early the next morning, Colonel Charles Hart arrived at Woodridge Security Headquarters and was told about the UFO sightings. He was very skeptical at first, but as he began to investigate, he was surprised at how authentic the sightings sounded, and he was unable to explain them. The same night, more lights were spotted, and floodlights were ordered to be set up in the woods. And Unsolved Mystery spends a lot of time describing to us what the fucking a Ugh. floodlight is. But then what are they calling it? I don't remember. They call it, they're like, my a floodlight, as is commonly known as this. And I was like, no, a floodlight. <laughs> like, why are you giving me this other confusing term? It's just a light. Like, it doesn't matter. I don't you know care. You how a, like, new car dealership moves into town, and they put those floodlights up in the sky? Like That's pretty much what this was. Yeah, we get it, Stack. Calm down. At 9.30 p.m., Colonel Hart received word of floodlights malfunctioning and other strange occurrences. Base security was immediately dispatched to put out more floodlights. Colonel Hart had a professional photographer come with him to take photos and try to debunk the sightings, but when he arrived, several, um, all of the equipment they were using started to malfunction, including the floodlights. Or as I call them, the stack lights. The stack lights? Because apparently you can just make up terms. (laughs) What's funny is that I think at this point in the reenactment, you see them leaving a building with Christmas lights on it. A lot of these people were at a Christmas party that night and claimed to be sober. Okay. Much like the people in that book claimed to not be smoking, but that may or may not have anything to do with the sightings. My favorite stereotype about the British is that they're well, these are Americans. Sober. True. True. Which maybe still applies. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I changed nothing about it. <laughs> so Hart and his men went into the woods armed with a tape recorder and other equipment. Sergeant Robert Ball, one of Hart's team members, located a site where they believed the UFO had landed. They got an instrument to do readings, and the 
on the trees, and when one of the men noticed a red glowing object about a few hundred meters away, it began zigzagging around the pine trees and, quote, winking at them. Yeah, I wrote that down, too. Not sure how a red meant, light winks. Maybe, like, it blinked. blinked. But I was just picturing their UFO being like, hey! <laughs> giving it a big old wink. So, like I said, check out the last podcast episode that they recently did if you want to know more. I believe they were out there taking um, radiation readings. Yeah. Because there's this theory that there were nuclear weapons being housed at the, I think, Bentwater Air Force Base was the one that was owned by the UK. Um, and I don't think that's ever been confirmed, but... It's there's there's this whole thing about UFO sightings around nuclear sites, and so I think some I don't know, UFO people think that maybe if they were storing nuclear weapons over there, that's what the aliens were coming to see. And they did get some like radiation readings, I think, when they were out there investigating. But I'm not like totally clear on what do you think the about, significance of that. What do you think about the glowing farmhouse? I don't know what to think about the glowing farmhouse. They come upon this farmhouse that's like glowing red from the inside. It's bizarre. I have no idea. I don't know. It's and then the it's light freaky. like breaks up into other lights. I and- would fucking turn around and run. <laughs> yeah, if I saw that. It sounded scary. Okay, so yes, they found a farmhouse that appeared to be glowing as if it were on fire. As the red object began moving towards the house, it broke up into five white balls and disappeared. This part of the reenactment is humorous. Cause, yeah, I don't know I what you're talking about. I think they great. really should probably have just like, I don't know, yeah, used a tin can on a string or something. because <laughs> f- Some flashlight reflections. Yeah, it might have looked better than this. So the men began moving towards the coast. When they looked to the north, they saw three objects in the sky that began moving in strange patterns. The men believed that the objects were trying to communicate or warn them. Sergeant <gasps> Ball believed that it looked like a grid search. Beams of light shooting out from the objects, and several people at the base also reported the lights. John Burroughs woke up while this was happening, and and he then saw several blue transparent lights in the sky, and one dived towards them, went through a truck, and went back up into the sky. At virtually the same moment, Colonel Hart and his men noticed an object in the sky that was coming towards them at a tremendous rate of speed, and a beam of light came down within feet of them. Then, as the light disappeared, Colonel Hart went from a skeptic to a believer. Well, yeah, if you fucking see that. It sounds terrifying. You'll just be Scully going, I don't know, Mulder. I'm literally touching an alien right now, but... The next day, Colonel Hart played the tape for his boss, and he agreed with him and told him to write an incident report. His boss then sent the report and the tape to a staff meeting, and everyone was confused, and nobody knew what to do. (laughs) Like most staff meetings. True. Colonel Hart's memo was sent to the British military authorities who did not act on it. Then in 1983, a private citizen used the Freedom of Information Act to release Hart's memo. However, many people are not convinced. Some believe that the, quote, UFO sighting was really just a meteor shower, but the people that saw the UFOs are convinced that it was not a meteor shower or a figment of their imagination. Colonel Hart found that in January 1981, nine months later, there were more sightings near Woodbridge. In total, 15 men claimed to have seen the unusual phenomenon at Bentwaters and Woodbridge during the first incident. To this day, nobody can fully explain what really happened in December of 1980 in Rendlesham Forest. 
We hear from an astronomer with a very boring mustache who wants to tell you that it's just a meteor shower and that yeah, there's I, no evidence that it's aliens and the burden is on them. I think this is James McGay, which is, who is an astronomer and noted UFO skeptic and director of two observatories. James does not believe that much evidence is there to prove that the objects seen were UFOs, but he believes that they may have been meteor showers. However, John Burroughs is certain that what he saw was not a meteor shower, especially because meteor do not move up and down and do not move in an erratic manner. James claims that what they saw was all in their minds because they were expecting to see UFOs. James all believes of them? that the red light that Colonel Hart saw was from a lighthouse reflection, but Hart says that that was impossible because it happened two different times in two different places, and how it and the way it moved through the forest was not indicative of the lighthouse light, which I'm sure they saw all the time. There was a lighthouse nearby. It seems unlikely that they were confusing what they were seeing with a light they routinely saw. I think this astronomer, if he's still with us today, feels like a huge dummy, because now we all know that UFOs are real. (laughs) And here he is insisting, no, it's a meteor shower, and you have these very credible witnesses going, yeah, I I know what a meteor shower looks like. I Uh, do find the witnesses credible. I do too. I don't think that all of these people are making up what they saw, that all of them could be confused by a lighthouse and a meteor shower. I feel like particularly those first two people that came back to make that report, it's kind of like jeopardizing their careers. I was going to say, I think you're right. If you walk into your military boss's office and is like, oh, I saw weird lights in the sky, you're at best, it's going to be embarrassing. At worst, it could hurt your career. They could have gone back and said, you know what, we investigated it, and it turns out it was nothing. And they'll go, okay, great, good job. But instead they went, yeah, something weird's going on that makes right. farmhouses glow. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I don't see why they would make that up. Yeah, I think so too. And um, also UFOs are real. Yeah. Which so. is probably the name of this episode, because I keep saying it and I'm not going to stop. UFOs are real. UFOs are real. All right, that was the first mystery. It was very long. I feel like I didn't have enough Oof, to say about it. But it was long. I, I think it was a two-parter at some point, and Probably. it uh, it does drag a little bit, but you get some very credible witnesses. I wrote down, these reenactments are kind of silly, but they are trying, which is a very patronizing note that I have in there. But that sums it up yeah. pretty well, Yeah, actually. As if UFOs weren't enough for a Unsolved Mysteries episode. We're going straight into satanic cults. Holla. Okay. So this is unexplained <laughs> death. Satanic cults. Sorry. Something Sorry we were just about. joyous about your unexplained deaths. This is the case of Shane Stewart and Salic, Sally McNeely from San Angelo, Texas. It dates back to July 4th, 1988. So we start off with a little introduction to our two victims. Oh. We hear from Shane's dad, who... Seems like a really sweet guy. And he Poor tells, Shane's dad. I know. I feel really bad for him. So he tells us all about how great his son was and how, like, fun and enthusiastic and just seemed like a really outgoing person. The type of person that you care when they're murdered, unlike everyone else. And then we get... I don't know. I just... I feel like whenever people are like, oh, they had so many friends. They were like, blah, 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 blah. It's so sad they're dead. That if I was dead, they'd be like, I don't know. Liz just kind of stayed home and didn't do a whole lot. <laughs> that is not true. You have five <laughs> listeners who would mourn your death. It's like, well, she was kind of an introvert and also lazy, but RIP. Is this the first time we've seen home video on Unsolved Mysteries? I was trying to remember uh, in our rewatch if we've ever seen huh. home videos. Well, we saw that, that uh, church frame burnt down. Yes, I remember that. I, I wouldn't call that a home video. <laughs> I think we have, but um, maybe not video, like home film 
like home. Yeah, maybe. I was trying to remember. A I think we've case, seen some I... splotty, uh, you know, reels, but I don't know that we've seen an actual like home VHS like we do in this. Because we see a lot of tapes of him. So yeah, so Shane, life of the party, right? And so he was um, involved in a long-term relationship with his girlfriend, Sally. We get a less enthusiastic introduction with her, where her mom was just sort of like, she was a people pleaser and wanted everyone to like her. I was like, you don't... Don't ever say that about me if I die. (laughs) Don't worry, Samantha, no one will. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite of me. Samantha was kind of bitter, but fun to be around. That's what I'll say. Perfect. Put that on my tombstone, actually. Kind of bitter, but fun to be around. <laughs> I mean, I like that in a person, so it's not a, it's not an insult. <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of this episode. Uh, yeah. Kind of bitter, but fun kind to be bitter, but fun to be around. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I thought Sally's mom could have been a little more enthusiastic in describing her daughter's character, but what do I know? I didn't, I didn't lose a kid. Who am I to judge? Um, Robert Stack tells us that like so many small towns, there was more to San Angelo than meets the eye. And I guess what's... A seedy underbelly is, yeah. I think, what he's trying to get at. He's like, yes, this is the town from Twin Peaks. There's so much more going on. So the last time the couple was seen, it was July 4th. Um, it was actually their first date in four months because they had been apart for a little bit after they'd both split town. But they came back and they went out to see the fireworks and that is the last time anyone sees them alive. The next day, Shane's car is found abandoned with the keys in it just sitting on the dashboard, not even, like, hidden. Right. And the police, in their infinite wisdom, took that to mean that the couple had run off to get married. And I was like, wouldn't they need their car to do that? Bitch, Did how? walk? Bitch, where? <laughs> Bit what? Like, In the forest. These are... Well, see, the, they were getting married to the devil. <laughs> and you can only do that in a secret wood <sighs> ceremony. It's, these are young people. I, I'm not sure Sally had a car. I don't understand how they're getting to the chapel if his car is sitting abandoned. Also, if they had a car, like, why would they take the bus or some shit? No, I don't know. Yeah. No, they have to abandon it in the woods and then Ugh. walk to of their... Course, Shane's dad, being sane, goes, my son loved that car, and there's no way he would have just abandoned it with the keys in it. Yeah, but, there's no point. Yeah. Also, if they ran off to get married and didn't want the car, why would they leave the keys? Don't know. He never wants the car again. For someone else to have it, I guess. Little known fact, married men can't have cars. <laughs> it's in the rule book. Uh, it doesn't sound like the police did a whole fucking lot. Shane's dad spends four months searching for them, looking around the lake where they're last seen and talking to people. But I don't really get the impression that the police did much. They did? We didn't hear about it. Yeah, we certainly, certainly Unsolved Mysteries did not go out of their their way to make them look good, so that kind of makes me think they really fell down on the job. Uh, two, four months later, after their disappearance, two skeletons are found um, by Twin Buttes Lake. And I actually wasn't clear if that was the same lake they were last saw, seen at, or if it's a different lake. I'm not sure. It, the, they, they, their bodies are miles from the car, but I, I just don't know enough about the geography of the region. So... Shane's father uh, had a police scanner, probably by his bed, and he heard that these bodies were found, so he went down to the 
crime scene and says, you know, like, have you found Shane's body? And in the reenactment, they're, like, super casual about it. And I hope this is not how this went down. They're really like, oh, yeah, uh, he's down there, but uh, it's real bad. You don't want to see it. Like, you don't want to say, like... I'm so sorry. Da, 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 da. We do think this is... First of all, they describe it as a skeleton. I don't know how decomposed this corpse is, but they describe it as a skeleton. But they're willing to immediately tell this grieving father, like, oh yeah, that's your son. Uh, you might not want to look at him. He looks real gross. <laughs> Basically! <laughs> They don't say like he might anything have been comforting like, at all. Yeah, chomping on some gum. He yeah. was like that casual about it. Uh, here's the thing. Uh, your son's real dead, and he looks stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like so callous. So the dad insists on go- going to see the body. Which, if the reactment is accurate, they like barely fight him on, even though telling him it looks bad. And then he says that he sat down by his son and he told him that he found him and he was going to take him home. It's very sad. And I just hate everything. Also, the dad is in the reenactment, so he has to reenact this. Yeah, that, not cool on some mysteries. Cool. <laughs> Go cast this, more people. I don't see how that is going to help find his killer. Maybe <sighs> it makes for good television, except now we're all just fucking bummed out. Yeah, really. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it makes for good television. I think it makes for sad television. So this is the part where they go, you know what you weren't expecting, except that we already told you. Satanic cult! (laughs) Um, Because we start to hear a little bit more about Sally. And Sally, unlike most teenagers, had a rebellious streak. What? I know. That. Never heard of this before. I'm going to sound mean right now. But when Sally's mom is, like, talking about raising her, she's like, I had her real young, and we kind of grew up together. I was like, that's not great. No, I had the same weird feeling about it. I just, I think that maybe Sally was not getting all the sort of parental guidance that she needed, uh, kind of by her mom's own admission. Yeah. And apparently Sally never referred to her as mom and always called her by her first name, which doesn't mean anything in and of itself, but sort of in the context of... You can sort of tell what their relationship is like. Yeah. And so we see this reenactment of Sally sneaks out her window one night, the worst thing any child has ever done. And she comes back and her mom, Pat, is, you know, sitting in a chair in the dark to catch her. But then Sally's sort of just like, leave me alone. You just freaked me out. And doesn't tell her mom, like really anything and i don't think it's punished in any way and yeah her mom just sort of tosses up her hands like well she wouldn't tell me where she was was like and that was that was it apparently Apparently. that was was the conversation apparently so so but her mom did call a friend of hers to try to find out what was going on i guess because her daughter didn't want to talk to her and that friend was like oh yeah sally is mixed up in a cult and they have a demon in the bottle (laughs) Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh. oh. I thought she was just going to smoke with some yeah, boys. Yeah, I thought she was having sex with her long-term boyfriend, <laughs> which didn't really seem like the end of the world, honestly. But now you're telling me she has a demon in a bottle. Somehow those two facts were, like, conflated in this friend telling... Okay. So now we learn about the cult. Yes. So Sally was mixed up in ritualistic parties that she was attending on a regular basis. This is just our Friday night. Yeah. The reenactment of this is a dark room lit with 
a expensive number of candles uh, where some teenagers are drinking beer and playing with a Ouija board. That's a ritualistic party. I that guess. all satanic cults engage in. And her friend, who I think was named Helen, I don't even know that I wrote down, was was invited to one of these parties, saw Sally go into a trance, which according to the reenactment was, she spaced out for a second. Did you know that's called a trance? Uh, it, it is. And got that's weird. That's something that no one's ever done while drinking too much <laughs> beer at a party. As a teenager. Uh, so she got weirded out and was like, Sally, I'm going to leave. And Sally was like, fine because apparently she was too uptight to hang out with her ritualistic parties <laughs> and so that's where this information is based on i wanted to know more about this demon in the bottle but we never get back to it and that is also a tragedy this is the least cult thing i've ever heard it's, it's literally just a party where they had a ouija board yeah if that was the definition of a satanic cult i was in one for my entire junior high <laughs> you existence. Were. I mean, according to some people, you that would count, I guess. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about this satanic cult is we don't only have Unsolved Mysteries interpretation of it. Shane and Sally actually did reach out to the police about this group of people. The problem is that they're criminals. The, the problem is not that they occasionally... They captured a demon in a bottle? Yeah, that they occasionally dabbled in the uh, most capitalist of the dark arts, the Ouija board. <laughs> um, the problem is that they were committing crimes. But uh, Sally becomes disillusioned with the group because they are g- engaging in criminal activities, which included drugs and group sex. Oh, which I cannot imagine calling the police to be like, I have to confess, I went to a really rockin' party. <laughs> you will not believe the quality drugs and group sex over there. Oh, my God. I don't even... Oh, and I forgot to mention that we see Shane wearing a cropped tank oh, top. Oh, yeah! This is the only thing I texted Liz about. I was like, oh, I was like, oh my God, there's aliens in satanic cults and the mad boy crop top all the boys i think just show that they're like bad rebels so they're wearing a crop top. they're wearing homemade shirts cut into crop top tanks so you can see their abs and then they get into fights oh that's also so shane is also pulled into this devious underbelly and that leads to him getting in fights unlike most teenage boys yeah i think most teenage boys never do. never do and um some questionable fashion choices but i approve so yeah, most of it sounds like tip- pretty typical teenage stuff, but apparently Shane and Sally were concerned enough that they reached out to the police. The police officer of the show was like, I was very skeptical <laughs> that this group was doing anything or meant anything, but they give him a gun that someone in the group gave Sally that was apparently used in a murderous robbery. And um, so she wanted to turn it over to law enforcement. She wanted to like move on from this group, apparently... Party. I can see why. If they've robbed and killed someone, but it's one you thing would. to like hang out with people and drink beers and play with a Ouija board. But then if then if someone's like, "Oh, here, have this gun. I once killed a man with it," you might be like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm out. I'm actually done with this party. You can keep your drugs and group sex. I'm gonna go home. I gotta go." So I think they they kind of crossed the line. Yeah. Sally and Shane no longer wanted to do anything to do with it. Yeah, murder is a clear, very yeah, clear line. Right? They were like, mm, I was in. I wanted a demon in a bottle. Sorry for the really loud motorcycle. Oh, my goodness. By. Contain your masculinity. Okay. 
She wanted a demon in a bottle. She did not want a fucking murder weapon that had already been used in the crime. Why would she want that? No. So she hands us over to the police. They ask the police, like, please, could you not let us, the people know that we told you? And for some reason, the police officer is like, I'll try my best. I did not understand this. Did you get them murdered? I think so. So thanks. This is not that much of a mystery. Like, they should have just turned the gun over anonymously, apparently, because. Yeah. I think actually this does get them killed. So they drop off the weapon. Um, his name was Deputy Counts. I drew his mustache, but whatever. He's not the winner. So at this time, Shane and Sally were living together. I think because the police gave him such a lackluster promise to protect them that they decided we should probably leave town. They not were, a bad idea. Yeah, they were fearful of retribution. Um, Sally calls her friend that was a square at that party and was like, I'm worried someone's going to kill me. And her friend, being such a good friend, did not believe her, did not really ask what she was talking about, and did not tell anyone else. Yeah. She was like, I just thought she was exaggerating again. And I was like, wow, you guys were real close. Okay. So Bad friend. <laughs> bad friend. So they split town for a little while. I think for like four months, something like that. And then they come back into town. At this point, Shane's dad overhears him on the phone and someone is demanding money. And Shane's like, calm down. I'll get it. I have it. I'll get it to you. And at this point, his dad was like, look, if you're in trouble, like, please let me know. I'm your dad. I can help you. Blah, blah, blah. He seemed really great. Yeah. And Shane was like, don't worry about it. I've got it all control. It's going to be over. And then his dad is like, okay, well, I love you. He gives him this like teary farewell. Which, in a way, is appropriate because he never sees his son again. Uh, sorry, Shane's dad. The last... <clears throat> so, they're out in the field by the lake with his car <laughs> at nine that night watching the fireworks. The last person to see them alive is a witness who is on a boat in the lake. He sees them by their car, and they are approached by a pickup truck. So, this is this guy named Randall. This was my pick for MVM. He's got a good mustache. It's gigantic. I called it the overgrowth. It's just a fountain or a... It's really overgrown. Yeah, it's like an overgrown lip head. It's, it's like weeds that need to be pulled from a garden or like a hedge that needs clipping. Like, yep. it's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It is. So, he's the last person to see them alive. This, this pickup truck pulls up to Shane's car, is very aggressive with them. The reenactment is very over the top, and I don't know that we can believe... They're, like, threatening them with baseball bats and, like, pulling them by their wrists. I, they do end up dead, but... Right. I was also like, guy in a boat, if that's what you saw... Maybe you should have told someone? He's like, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> he was really minding his own business, I guess. And that's it for the segment. Robert Spack ends it by giving you this very sad piece of information that inside Sally's pocket is a fortune cookie fortune that says... This is unnecessary. I kind of love this because it's so it's so bleak. If you braced yourself, the cookie fortune is you will always be surrounded by friends. And then he states the obvious. He's like, well, she probably was murdered by her friends, so it was true. <laughs> oh! <laughs> thanks! That's real dark. For that and now i do i kind of want a fortune that says that so i can frame it yes yeah. was this ever solved so okay we do have an important update that i'm pulling from unsolved uh wiki thank you to them 
So this is technically unresolved, but in 1994, a DNA profile was recovered from evidence found next to the abandoned car. The DNA was uploaded in the National Bat Database, but no matches were found. Until July of 2014, the Sheriff's Department indicated that the case had never been closed and that there are two major developments, and that the remains of Shane Stewart had been exhumed for DNA purposes as part of the new investigation. Oh. Then, an update in 2017, the police have identified a possible suspect in the case. He's currently only named as a person of interest. His name is John Gilbreth. He was arrested for marijuana possession. Okay. And his girlfriend told officers that more drug-related evidence was in his home. I read a little bit more about this, and it sounds like he got arrested, and his girlfriend was like, oh, yeah, he's a drug dealer. So they went to search his house, and they didn't find evidence that he was a drug dealer, but what they did find evidence was connecting him to Shane and Sally's murders. What? The evidence included three audio tapes with SS written on them, handwritten notes and ledgers mentioning both victims... A lock of hair, oh. a fingernail. What? Which is like it's like all together too, like a little keepsake. Yes. And Hopefully, it wasn't in a shadow box. <laughs> yeah, that would be real weird. <laughs> and biological material that might have been blood that has not been confirmed to the public at this time. Investigators have confirmed that Gilbreth has been a suspect from the case since the beginning. Wow, he was one of the members of the group if you want to call them satanic cults it doesn't seem like they actually worshiped satan or did anything satanic but a group of criminals who loved a ouija board down and then that he was part of that group he was 17 at the time this is wild because if he's kept like souvenirs from this murder then this has to be more than just being mad that someone turned them in but turned also, him in he would have been 17 like who knows how rational his, like, true murder thinking was. So, um, he was convicted of marijuana and firearms charges, and he's currently serving time in federal prison. He has not yet been charged with the murder. Interesting. But it sounds like this evidence... Especially if they found possibly blood. Could be pretty damning. Yeah. Um, depending on the DNA results. Since this is only from June of two years, two years ago, and... Um, the legal system is very slow. It's maybe he's still going to be charged with this. I don't know. Oh, um, and here's his mugshot looking like he will fucking kill you right now. Jesus. If you would like to join a Facebook group for this case, there's a page called Remembering Shane and Sally. Most of the recent information is actually about cold cases that are being solved to sort of give hope that this case will be solved too. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, so if you want to go, um, I'll learn a little bit more about this. Um, I read a few more articles, but they basically were about how this new evidence has been found and people sort of are assuming that they know who did it. Okay. Okay. So there's one more mystery in this and it's a lost love. This is like a cherry on top. We this have UFOs, just for, just Satanic Panic, and now a lost love. I really like this one. This, this one actually one. made me cry. Okay. So this is the story of Carla Downing. So Carla Downing had always felt different from her relatives, especially because she had different hair and eye color than them. She had significantly different hair. Like her whole life, she thought she looked a lot different. And also her complexion, she had more of an olive complexion than her siblings. So she always felt sort of out of place. These feelings were forgotten after her mother, Mildred Libby, passed away in June 1965 when Carla was 16. She and her brother, Ron, were sent to live with her their grandparents in Alexandria, Virginia. 
A few weeks after Mildred's funeral, a woman named Mary visited her grandparents' home. Carla's grandmother said that Mary was a friend of Mildred's. She noticed that Mary seemed quite upset when she met her, but she assumed that it was just because of Mildred's recent passing. And in this reenactment, Carla is wearing, like, some sweet jeans. Oh, yes. The acid wash is on point. She is getting $20 to go out with her friends and get her mom a carton of milk, and then she was going to buy a dress with the rest of the money. She has a great ponytail. She leaps into a classic car. The fashion in this episode is like, uh, but then in this segment, so good. Spot on. So after Carla graduated from high school, she married and had a son. Despite this, she still felt out of place with her family. In 1990, her father, Chester, died, and she traveled to Arlington, Virginia, to attend his funeral. A relative at the funeral gave her a briefcase that contained several important documents. And in the reenactment, they're literally, like, at Arlington, like, yeah, at the trunk of a car and she's like i have something very important to give you and pulls out this briefcase your father wanted you to have this yeah i mean maybe it did go down that way it was very dramatic i i hope something that dramatic happens to me one document from 1945 listed chester as married however another one from 1948 listed him as divorced Hmm. she had no idea that he was married before meeting her mother mildred and that he had divorced his first wife just a few weeks before her birth two days later she talked to her uncle norman chester's brother he finally told her that chester was not her biological father and in the re- in Unsolved Mysteries episode, uh, I believe Norman is interviewed for the show, and he's like, I really wanted to tell her back then, but, like, the family didn't want it, and so I felt like it wasn't my place as, like, just her uncle, but I was glad to have finally been able to tell her the truth. Aww. So shortly after Ron called Carla, he said that his birth certificate stated that their mother had no children prior to his birth. This meant that Mildred was not her biological mother. She's just this horrible moment where like her whole world is shattering, crashing down. She's like, "Wait, that wasn't really my dad, and you're not really my brother. Everything I know is a lie." She later learned from her uncles, her mother's brothers, that Mildred had suffered a series of miscarriages in the 1940s. In 1948, she met a single pregnant immigrant from Belgium named Mary. They knew that she would be unable to or er, Mary knew that she would be unable to keep her child, so they decided to switch their identities. The birth certificate would say that Mildred was Carla's mother. Uh this was crazy. Like I don't know how you do this. They like walked into like an office together. Apparently Ma- Mary didn't speak English, at least based on the reenactment because she's like pantomiming like get out your paperwork and sign like it seems like she's doing this under duress like i'm sure it doesn't seem like it was based on how they described it but also do we have like all the information of how this really went down i'm not sure seeing the reunion it didn't seem like like mary never says that she didn't want to give up her baby but it seems like she may have regretted it later on. Right. So I don't know. I don't want to say that Mildred coerced her or took advantage of her, but she would recently immigrated to the United States. Didn't seem like she spoke any English. She may have been in dire straits. I she don't might know. have not fully understood the length of time or the consequences of what she was doing. Or- and maybe she truly couldn't keep her child, but didn't understand how to 
right. navigate the adoption system. I'm not really sure what happened. It's a regardless though, it's a weird situation. So Carla was then officially Mildred's child and was raised as such. She learned from her uncle that Mary was actually her birth mother. Since then, she has been searching for her. So the result is that this is solved minutes after the broadcast. A viewer's tip led Carla to her birth mother, Mary Maxwell, and they were reunited on September 27th, 1991 at her home in Maryland. Carla was also reunited with her two, or she met for the first time, her two half-sisters and a nephew. It's so they filmed sweet. the reunion, and it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen. Like, some of these reunions are weird because you're meeting someone for the first time, there's a camera in your face. Like, it's very uncomfortable, and I can understand why. But in this one, Carla jumps out of the car and sprints towards her mom, and they have a big hug, and they cry, and I cried watching it. It was the sweetest thing. Um, her little nephew's there, and he has some flowers for her. It was... And her sister, like her half-sister's there. It was so cute, and I could watch it over and over again. I loved it. So I really liked this last love. It was good. Yeah. And I'm happy for them, and that they got this, like, new chapter in their lives. Yeah. And so they were reunited in 1991. Mary passed away in 2010. So they had... A period of time. Yeah, they had many, you know, not as many years as they would have liked, but they had several years together, and... I'm yeah. sh- it seemed like I'm sure they kept in touch in a relationship. I hate the ones where they're like, oh, we found them and they had died a month previously and we never got to talk. So Yeah, don't even bother airing those on some mysteries <laughs> because those are horrible. So These ones I like. The fact that they got almost like two decades together is pretty nice. It is nice. So are we ready to rate this episode? Yes, let's do it. Let me see if I can remember the categories. Oh yeah, okay. Um, mysteriousness? mysteriousness. The Rendlesham Forest one is really mysterious. Yeah, actually, and we still don't know exactly what happened to Shane and Sally. So I'll give it a thumbs up. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up for Mysteriousness They're for sure. Both, um, the two main cases are both interesting. Yeah. So maybe the UFO is a little longer than it needed to be, but they're both good cases. Sure. The meat of the episode, I think, is quality, so thumbs up. I'm sure I didn't cover the Rendlesham Forest incident very well. Rob, if you're listening, uh, I'm sure you can provide some more information. There's probably a whole podcast just delete devoted to that one thing so probably all we can do is talk about the mis- unsolved mysteries angle true all right reenactments Ooh, they were i mean they weren't the worst reenactments I'm gonna go sideways yeah that's that's what i'm feeling too fashion um i'm gonna say sideways also the, the last segment the last loves kind of pulls it up a little bit it does and then robert stack he actually you see a lot of him in this episode you do so I'm going to say thumbs way up. He's wearing the trench coat. He brought out the trench coat for season four. He's looking mysterious. You can tell he's aged since season three. You know uh, what's also interesting? I I don't know if we've seen this before, but I noticed it for some reason for the first time in this episode that there's like a commercial break that they left in in the Amazon edited ones where Robert Stack's like, when we return on Unsolved oh, yeah. Mysteries. Yeah. And, was, and it just occurred to me that we've never really heard him say that. Which, of course, he probably did in every episode, because in real life, there were commercials. This was way before streaming. Right. So, So, I think we get, like, a little extra stack. Yeah, I think so. Thumbs way up. Was there another category we were supposed to talk about? No, that's Okay, there's mysteriousness, (laughs) reenactments, fashion. Stack. And stack. Are we forgetting one? Wow, we are not that rusty, are we? (laughs) We do need to rate it on a scale of robber stacks. So, we have zero to five. How many Robert Stacks would you put? I'm like at 3.5, maybe? I'd say four. Okay. I, I think it's pretty solid. I really like The Lost Love. The Lost Love gets five out of five. Um, I would say it's, yeah. It leaves a little, I, you know, I love it when there's four mysteries. But actually, did I like only having to do one? Yes. So, 
four. That gets five out of five armor stacks. Yeah. So this is season four, y'all. We are on our way. And now we have our first recommendations. I actually don't have a recommendation today. I have something a little different. Oh, I'm I'm intrigued. I have a little surprise. Something I've been talking about probably at this point for years. Since the podcast began. Liz is moving her mic like she's gonna... I went to the back, the very back of my closet today, which I had not bothered to do, because that's where I keep, you know, like, sentimental things that you never really need to get out. But I was like, I want to start season four off with a bang. I like this. So far, so good. And show Samantha my (laughs) X-Files scrapbook. So if you're new to the show... Uh, you will not have heard me talk previously. Oh then when I was, say, 10, 11 years old in middle school, uh, what did I love to do with my friend in her basement on a Friday night after watching the X-Files? Uh, we'd like to work together on our scrapbooks. This is the so, X-Files scrapbook. This I'm, is the X-Files scrapbook. I'm excited to Samantha see it. Samantha has not seen it yet. I'm just going to pass it over to her and let her flip through. Okay, I'm going to react hours, in real time. Hours So this work. is a black notebook. It looks a little... It's seen some love. But sure. it's, it's not as tattered as I would have expected from a well-loved <laughs> scrapbook. It's still in very good condition. In the middle, there's just a sticker that says official X-Files fan club. You asked which was something I was in. Of course. The, the Patreon of its day. <laughs> The inside is black pages with meticulously kept clippings from magazines and newspapers. They are meticulously. The sp- they're spaced perfectly. This first page, there's a lot of Gillian Anderson. They're, yeah, the spacing is just excellent. I'm really... <laughs> I'm turning the page. I see a lot of of things from magazines. <laughs> I spend uh, I spend a lot of money on uh, magazines that happen to mention the X Files, so, so I you could. can get some clippings from it. I also I had like these, a, this like alien hand in the corner. That's a nice effect. There's also it's just occasionally things that are just about aliens, but most of it is pretty X Files focused. I like this page dedicated to David Duchovny. I wrote it in a silver gel pen, David Duchovny. There used to be a thing. I what? doubt. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's a shot from the show. Yeah, this is... He's, like, in a bush looking through a leaf. <laughs> look at those pouty lips, though. I mean... That really, that really hey, did it for you back then. Apparent, I don't get it now, but at the time, I was all about it. There used to be a thing where you could, like, send away for, like, glossy photos of celebrities. I, sw- I was probably wondering not- where you got these from, because they are glossy. It looks like you took this yourself with no, your 8mm. I think they were just, like, associated press photos you could, like, send. This I think looks you could, like you went to Sam's Club and you developed, had the film developed. <laughs> I think you paid for them in stamps. Wow. Yeah, God. You have three what a of them. What a different time. Oh, I think there was, there might have been a period of time where those were on my wall before they made it into this the scrapbook. This is a work of art. It, I really loved making it. And that's why I haven't been able to get rid of it. You this should the never only, get rid of this. This is the only piece of X-Files. There's so many pages. <laughs> I had a ton of merchandise and this is all that remained. Here's some more glossy photos. Wow. This is impressive. What is this? Oh, that's a drawing my brother made of Chris Carter, the creator <laughs> of the X-Files, but as the fluke man. <laughs> Who's one of the monsters on the X-Files? Because I didn't like Chris Carter. So he okay, made that for okay. me. And I like that it got its own page. Yeah. Those he looks nice. like kind of a mummy or something. Yeah. It for sure looks like a mummy. <laughs> with a very oblong head. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's how the fluke man looked. Oh, you're going to have to repaste this uh, Department of Investigation FBI oh, special Oh, so Olivia, agent. who... Uh, my friend Olivia, who made our outro music, also 
at the time, Computer Whiz made these fake FBI badges. And this was for a Halloween costume right there. You can see me. Is this me little baby Liz? Dressed as an FBI agent. Wow. Hell yeah. Oh my goodness. This is <laughs> amazing. I used to also have a binder of all the like full page magazine things, but okay. I, don't, I don't know you what happened to that. You didn't keep that one? Apparently not. That wasn't nearly as much work as all How the How much clippings. time did you spend looking at this photo of David Duchovny? Probably a lot. <laughs> Though I don't think that one was on my wall. He is looking sultry. He, there's a lot of photo, photos of him really trying to work that camera. <laughs> it's not always quite, quite working the way he wanted it to. I don't think. Yeah, I can there's see a photo that. of him Here's wearing him only, naked. only a teacup. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's that's this. I, he just has a teacup over his his manly bits. I think I literally pr- printed that out on my home computer. <laughs> and your mom was like, "I'm looking the other way." <laughs> This is amazing. I'm going to take some shots for Instagram and put them. I'm going to put them on the gram. This needs to be immortalized forever on the internet. Uh, so I can't beautiful. even. I can't even back this up with my recommendation. Well, that's it's. I mean, I don't really have a recommendation, so I've kind of cheated. Well, I'm, I support. My that. recommendation is go back to the '90s when every single magazine was basically about the X Files and make an X Files scrapbook. <laughs> That's my invent time please, travel and then do that. Please do. I love it. I wish I had something to make a scrapbook about now because I really enjoyed doing that. So during our hiatus, I read a lot of books and I feel like I should like recommend one of those and I probably will. But all I really want to recommend is this Instagram account for this dog and this guinea pig. Oh yeah, great idea. Liz already knows what this is because I tagged her on Facebook. This is so the Instagram handle is Golden Goodness Infinity, and it's <laughs> a perfect name for it. And it's an Instagram account for a golden retriever named Pippin and her best friend Frankenstein. The guinea pig. This is my dream. This is the cutest shit I have ever seen in my life. I have been doing nothing. Like, look at this video of Frankenstein kissing Pippin's nose. I this is the cutest fucking thing I've ever guinea seen. Guinea pigs, and I wish I could have a guinea pig, but I sort of think Lenny would eat him. So the idea that you could have a guinea pig and a dog that would be friends—they are best friends. Look at this is Pippin or Frank. Frank, they call him Frank for short, sitting on Pippin's back. And there's videos. There's look, lots of content. I saw this like shared on like a local local animal rescue page. And this is the cutest fucking thing. Like, that's all I can even describe. There's videos of little Frank like just following Pippin around. They spend all of their time together, like snuggling and playing, and it's so cute. And they go outside and they tie a balloon to Frank so that they can f- keep track of him while he's walking around. But all he does is follow Pippin. There's all these videos of him just like following behind. Here's him like snuggled up in her fluffy tail because she's a golden retriever. Yeah, it's actually quite a big dog to be playing with a guinea pig. They love each other. It's the cutest shit I've ever seen. And then there's also like a little girl in this family who's just like an adorable little child who just has a pet guinea pig and golden retriever that love each other. It's the most wholesome shit. The problem with it is that it makes me insanely jealous. Like the sort of jealousy you fit in the feel in the pit of your stomach where you're like a little bit mad. That you don't have a, a, yes. a guinea pig and a yes. golden retriever that love each other. It's a, it's a common feeling that I have looking at Instagram. Maybe not common, but, you know, it, it happens. You have a little FOMO. Yeah. yeah and I go, a guinea pig FOMO. don't I have a guinea pig who's best friends with my dog? 
Ugh! Here they call him Frank and Chuck because he's a little or Frank and Chunk because he's a little chunky. But he's following Pippin around. It's I so like guinea pigs are a little chunky. That's oh what makes them God. so cute. Watching a guinea pig walk from behind is like the cutest fucking it thing really I've is. ever seen. I love them so. So much. that's all I have to recommend is this uh, golden goodness infinity Instagram account. I think that's the best thing we've ever. It's like the only on thing show. I want to do on Instagram is just look at videos of this guinea pig and his dog. Oh, I'll do a really dumb recommendation update. Which is that Wet and Wild new collection, Crystal Cavern. I need to order some of that lip gloss. Has a great lip gloss, the Amos the Amethyst purpley lip gloss. It's beautiful. I'm usually not into sh- putting shimmer on my lips, but I Liz and I had lunch the other day, and I was like, "What are you wearing on your lips? It's beautiful." Uh, Wet and Wild. Yeah. The highlighter from that I'm collection uh, is a little bit more like the Color Shock highlighters. It's like a little creamy. Okay. And it's very bright and blinding and beautiful. And then they have little eyeshadow trios, three shade eyeshadows that come in a little triangle. The green one, that light green shade is like the best eyeshadow I've ever used in my life. Why? How long until we get Wet n Wild PR? Come on. It would cost like $40. Yeah, come on, Wet n Wild. To send us some Wet n Wild. I tag them on shit on Twitter. They don't give a damn. <laughs> like, I'm promoting you all the time. Hello. And they're, they're like, you. yes, please keep doing it you for free. You can keep doing that, but we're not sending you something that costs $5 for free. <laughs> but anyway, the eyeshadow costs $5 and is amazing and just proves to me that most makeup's a scam. The end. The end. <laughs> Alright, is that it for our show? I think so. I think we can put season four episode one to bed to bed and you can go back to being a little better but fun to hang out with all right or whatever it is i said i think that's what it was bitter but fun to be around (laughs) yes there we go okay get out there solve some mysteries but we have to plug our shit first oh my god you're right i've forgotten how podcasting works it's our first day back so follow us on facebook instagram and twitter perhaps it's you after you follow golden goodness infinity yes follow us on instagram i promise i'm going to try my best to post a lot this season it's hey. my season four We'll do uh, what we goal. do. Um, think ahead. At the end of the season, once again, we would like to do listener stories episodes. So if you have seen a ghost, if you've been bitten by a vampire, if you, um, you know, were abducted by aliens, we need to know about it. So that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. If you send in our stories, we would love to include them in our listener stories episode. You can toss us a little bit of money on Patreon. Patreon.com slash perhaps is you. You get bonus content. $5 a month gets you a coloring sheet. Our coloring sheet for June is <sighs> fucking amazing. It's the purpose of justice. Oh, well, that was actually May. But you can still May. get it. If you send in $5, we'll still give it to you, even though May just ended. And it is the purpose of justice. It was made for us by listener Amanda, who's actually a professional coloring book artist. So guess what? It looks a lot better than the stuff I doodle. And you can see it on Instagram. It's literally amazing. the purpose of justice going after a criminal octopus under the sea. And it's so fucking good. It's really good. I love it so much. So you could color it if you give us $5 a month. If you give us $10 a month, you get an extra special gift every quarter. Yes. And, and patreon.com slash perhaps with you. Our newest bonus episode was about art mysteries. Yeah, and if you give us any amount of money, you get a bonus episode every month. Also, and we talked way too long about Game of Thrones. Also, I, I really just ranted. It was sort of my nerd manifesto. Get ready for that. You know, maybe you don't know, but back in the 90s, there used to be hidden tracks on CDs sometimes. Yes, like, I do remember If this. you, like, listened all the way to the end, or sometimes if you, like, rewound from the first track, there'd be something, there'd be a little something hidden in there. Like, uh, Alanis Morissette did that on the Jaggy Little Pill. There's a little song about house at the very end. 
Why? I don't know. It was just the 90s things to do. People were excited about CDs. <laughs> That's how I feel about our Game of Thrones. It's like, okay, the actual content was art mysteries. And then we just started talking about and Game of Thrones. And then you get a whole other hour of It's like of a us. bonus track about Game of Thrones. Yeah, and I, I hope you enjoy it even if you don't watch Game of Thrones. Of course it contains spoilers, so it's be aware of that. 100% pure spoiler. But we put it at the end so you can stop before you hit that section. If you don't want to hear that, that section. if you don't want to know that... But if you want to hear us... The if you no- want to hear me... the com- gnomes win, that uh, the dwarves... If you want to hear me complain about something I purport to love, uh, that's what you need to listen to. Because I had Saw Mysteries wasn't enough of that. I had very few... Good things to say about Game of Thrones, despite it being one of my favorite TV shows, so I'll imagine that. Okay, Game of, Spo- Spo- Game of Thrones spoilers, The Mermaids won. I, <laughs> just so you all know. Sorry if you didn't plug your ears fast enough. The Mermaids and Fairies all won. Well, so. you know there's that theory about Varys being a mermaid. I, 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 I do now. <laughs> it's a real thing. They won. <laughs> Sorry about it. Okay. Sorry uh, we spoiled Game of Thrones for you. <laughs> the Mermaids won. Get the word out! <laughs> the Mermaids were victorious. Uh, ba, 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 I think that ba, really ba, ba, is it this time. Solved some mysteries, bitches. Bye.